This morning our title of our lesson is From One to Another. Our family theme is Passing on the Faith. Our objective is that we would live out our faith and pass it on to others, not only through what we teach and uh, instruction, but also how we live our lives. Now, again, a question with our objective, does it matter how we live our lives? Yes, it does. It makes all the difference in the world. We'll be in Titus chapter 2 today, uh, the entire chapter, and we will kind of, as, as we teach this particular chapter, we'll re- make reference to chapter 1 and chapter 3 as well, because this is our only lesson we'll have in the book of Titus. We've got two key truths. How we live should be consistent with what we believe. Would you agree with that? Yes. Second key truth. Our efforts should be consistent with God's purposes. Now, under our Bible basics this morning, we're encouraged this week to review <coughs> the books of the Old Testament order. Can anybody spout them off really quick? I'm not sure that I could. I can get most of them. So anyway, we're going to review those this week with your family if you get a chance to do that. So where does the book of Titus fit? Uh, first of all, just so we understand, uh, Titus was a convert of uh, Paul. And like Timothy, uh, Paul referred to Titus as his son in the faith. And Titus was a young preacher. And uh, Paul and Titus had visited, the island, had visited the island of Crete. And Paul decided to leave Titus there uh, to set some things in order and to ordain bishops and leaders for the church there that they might be able to, to teach and preach sound doctrine. So that kind of gives us a basic of that. And it was probably written by Paul around A.D. 65, and most scholars believe between his first and second time when he was in prison. Uh, but nonetheless, it shows Paul's concern uh, for the church there, but also for this young preacher, as Paul realizes he faced a very, very uh, daunting challenge is as far as passing on the faith there on the island of Crete. Under our get started this morning, uh, we have a word, I think. Do we, Alan? We do. What do you think of when you see that word? <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Somebody else. Say what? Why do you say that, Cheryl? Two-Face? That's true. I think I've shared this illustration before, but it's been a while since I've seen this on television. But a lot of times when I played old movies years ago, they would show a picture of a stage and a mask on each side. Remember those? <clears throat> well, those were called uh, hypocrites because that was the idea to portray somebody you're not. And certainly a hypocrite fits in uh, to that category. Now, keep in mind, uh, one of the problems that we have is that when people think of the church, the unsaved, they think the church is full of what? Hypocrites. Now, my, my pastor friend, Brother Ken Holland, he's kind of semi-retired now, <clears throat> but he said, I'd rather have it in the church anytime. At least they're hearing the gospel, right? So, again, everybody needs to uh, be saved. Now, of course, the bottom line is, uh, we don't like people to be hypocrites. We want people to be real uh, in our lives. But the truth of the matter, if we're honest, at one time or another, 
We've been hypocrites in our lives as well in certain areas. And certainly that is not what uh, pleases God. So, again, we, we don't want to be hypocrites uh, in our walk with God. We want to uh, live what we believe God were teaching and be an example to uh, our lost world. So Paul is writing this letter again to Titus, as I said earlier. He's a Gentile convert, and we read that in Galatians 2, verse 3. But, but nonetheless, the whole idea that Paul wants to happen here, and this, this letter is a prime example of passing on the faith. And kind of similar to what he wrote to Timothy, you know, I committed to you, you committed to other people as well. So he, he left Titus there uh, to minister there uh, at Crete, but we have to realize it was a very difficult place to minister and to share the gospel of Christ. So that world was no different than the world we live in today. In fact, Paul quotes one of their own prophets, one of their own prophets who said, Cretans are always liars. So how would you like to have that reputation, okay? In fact, the Cretans became a, a sim- symbol or a symbolic term for being a liar. So not a very good reputation and not a really uh, easy place to minister. But again, any time we're dealing with a lost world, it is not an easy place to minister. So again, uh, Paul is showing his ongoing support uh, for this young preacher. He reveals uh, that the task to Titus would be a, a certainly a reflection of Paul's own ministry. And what Paul shared with Titus, he wanted Titus to share with the people uh, he was preaching to. And, of course, the whole idea, uh, sometimes you've got to reprove behavior. Uh, sometimes you've got to rebuke people, uh, and especially false teaching. And certainly you have to encourage godly living as a part of our everyday life. That's what Paul is trying to get across to this young preacher. So Paul says, Titus, I want you to pass it on to others so that they can pass it on to others. And that's the model we have from God's word for sharing our faith, passing it on one to another. And what worked then will also work today. But if our model of doing this uh, if we're going to be effective, there has to be consistency in the way we live and what we teach. And that is so important. In fact, especially between our lifestyle and our doctrine. And so hopefully this morning in Sunday school, we're going to see uh, this particular consistency in Titus and the role it has to pass on our faith. And being consistent in how we live. So our first key truth this morning is how we live should be consistent with what we believe. Let's read the first ten verses of Titus 2 verse 10. 1 through 10 please. Home, 
Kind of interesting there in, in verse 1 of chapter 2, uh, Paul challenges uh, Titus here uh, to teach what is consistent, sound doctrine. Now, again, I, I know you know the answer, but let's review again. What does the word doctrine mean? Teaching. Our teaching has to be sound. And if we're going to have sound teaching, where does, where does it have to come from? Yeah, and from God's Word. Christ is the foundation, and we learn it from God's Word. Now, it's interesting. Um, Dan just read it for us, but what groups does Paul address here in this particular part of chapter 2? What do you mean normal men and women? Yeah. Everybody's included, isn't it? He includes the older men, the younger men, the older women, the younger women. He includes masters and servants. And so every scope of society is included. So we have to, I think, draw a conclusion from that. Who needs sound teaching? Everybody does. It is good for everybody. Now, what's interesting is this. Paul is very clear about this. We cannot separate our lifestyle from our teaching. They have to align with each other. In fact, when he opened this letter in this first chapter in verse 1, as he greets Titus and mentions you know, who he is, he says, you know what? The knowledge we have of the truth is after godliness. Godliness, and that means our knowledge of the truth will lead to godliness. Now, my question is, if we are Christians, should we, should we be godly? Yes. So how do we learn how to be godly? From God's Word. The knowledge of the truth of God's Word leads or is after godliness. Paul begins his letter just that way. Now, that's interesting. Would you agree, if we are going to be godly, we have to know about God? Because who's our example? God is. And so we have to know about God. But also, once we know the truth, our challenge, and it ought to lead us to live According to that truth, our everyday lifestyle is going to line up with the truth of God's Word. So again, my question would be, should God's Word make a difference and have an impact on our life? Yes. We're not just reading it to read the Word of God. We're not memorizing it just to memorize it. It's there to impact our lives and how we live our lives every day. Now, it's interesting. Paul makes it clear, and I'll I'll put it in the form of a question. Does doctrine matter? 
Yes. Now, not man-made doctrine, but biblical doctrine. Solid biblical teaching matters. It matters for every one of us who name the name of Christ. It's interesting, Paul spent part of chapter 1, if you will, rebuking some false teaching that was going on there at the church in Crete. And he says, the bottom line is, people need to change their lives. Their lives need to change from what the world does, what was common in their culture, and change and become in line with the Word of God. So my question is, why is that important? Why is that important? Or is it important? Any thought on that? What if we teach one thing and live another way? What's the world going to think? Ah, that go back to our word again, right? You're just living in hypocrisy. You're a hypocrite. It's the old adage, don't do what I do, but do what? Do what I say, right? That doesn't work. That is not a biblical statement. And so, there you go, Paul writing this young preacher. And he, he begins in chapter 1, says, you need to begin by choosing overseers. And Paul gives a list of qualification for those that would fit that bill. And the bottom line was, Paul said to Titus, you're going to need help in battling this problem that's going on in the church and outside the church. You're going to need men who are going to stand up and help you preach the true word of God. So select leaders who are capable to do that, uh, to that, that their lives demonstrate to uh, those who lived on the island uh, that Christ has made a difference in our life. Now, by the way, uh, it's true that many unbelievers hardly ever read a Bible, but how many know they're watching our lives? And they want to know, is what we believe uh, genuine? And so, again, they were to teach the true doctrine of the gospel, in order to rebuke and correct the false teaching that was going on. Now remember, I already mentioned uh, back in chapter 1, uh, Paul reminds us that the Cretans had a bad reputation. Uh, one of their own prophets, of their, uh, of their own prophets said uh, they were always liars. Uh, he also said in chapter 1, uh, speaking about their reputation, their evil beast. And he said they got slow stomach, which means you're gluttons. So that's how they were described. How many want that kind of description? But Paul says, don't be like the culture around you. So Paul realized, especially among believers, there is a need for consistency. Does what we, how we live line up with how we teach? And that we are going to have the kind of effect on our society, our lives have to be consistent with the Word of God. The world needs to see that Jesus Christ has made a difference in our lives. 
Now, we're talking about maturity here, and Paul starts out from older men. Uh, they're to be mature. Uh, they were to think clearly. Uh, they shouldn't be impulsive. Uh, they shouldn't be moved by emotion. And Paul says, take the serious things of life very, very seriously. They were to be men of dignity. Uh, they were to live in a manner that uh, brought respect to their lives. Uh, they were to exercise self-control, and they were always to be careful and mindful of those around uh, them. But not only that, they needed to know for sure what they believed. And I want to add, it's important to know why we believe what we believe. They need to show love or charity, care for those around them. And Paul says, you need to be dependable in your daily life. Now remember, all of those traits, none of them were common in the culture. Their reputation said so. But Paul says to Titus, teach those men, teach the church, those in the church, to live different from the world. So he begins with the older men. And then he goes to the older women. And Paul says they were to, to behave in a similar way. And they were to be reverent, uh, serious about things of life that were serious. Uh, they would uh, do that and demonstrate their values, if you will. They should be careful of how they speak, what they say. Uh, they ought to uh, make sure that what they said is true and make sure they're not slandering people, not gossiping, if you will. And, and again, just like the older men, they were to be sober-minded uh, they were not to be uh, controlled by wine, but also uh, they were to be in control of their thoughts, of their words, and their behavior. So Paul says, tell them to use those things, that kind of lifestyle, to teach the younger women in the church how they ought to live. So that brings me to a question. Was Paul concerned about how Christians live? Sure he was. He was deeply concerned about how Christians live. So Paul says to the older women, I want you to be an influence on the younger women and help them to know what their roles in the church are as well. God has a place for everybody. Now it's also interesting, Paul said, make sure you live your life that way so you don't dishonor so you don't blaspheme the Word of God. And folks, that is still important today. Our lives, their lives, even in that day, were to be a testimony of the truth of the gospel among, in their case, the Christians, but in the, in the lost and dying world. Let the world know that Jesus can and will make a difference in their lives. So Paul says to the older men and the older women, pass along your faith. And whatever you do, don't be hypocrite, because it will bring disdain on the Word of God. Be careful how you live. So Paul addresses the older men, the older women, but he also addresses the younger men as well. And he says... Younger men, exercise self-control. Don't indulge in foolish or selfish practices. Uh, 
be different in the world you live in. Be different than your peers are. Live according to the Word of God. Allow the Word of God to have a dramatic influence on your life. In other words, simply be Christ-like. Now think about this. It's interesting, in verse 7, Paul points out Titus. Titus, be careful how you live. Why would Paul say that? For who? Amen. Now, by the way, whether it's Titus or any other preacher, I think God's men need to be examples to the congregation. They need to live what they preach. They need to be men of integrity, willing to honor God's word, know God's word, and live out God's word. So Paul says, Timothy, I need you to demonstrate that. I know you preach it, but I need you to live it out before the congregation. Be a man of integrity, uh, be a man of sound speech, uh, be a man of dignity, but whatever you do, be consistent with your life. There's somebody who lives in our area, it's fairly well known, he has a business, and uh, my brother knew him real well, and uh, I know, know him a little bit, I've done some business with him. He knows who I am. He knows I'm a pastor. And my brother, who's not saved, he looked at this fellow and he said, well, uh, some days he's a Christian, some days he's not. He's not consistent. Now, those who are not consistent, what kind of impact are they going to have on people? They do notice it. And in their eyes, they're a hypocrite, right? And, and that's, that's really sad. Cheryl, you had a comment to make? I saw your lips move. I thought. Oh, yes. Yes, it is. And, you know, here's the thing, okay? Just as the Cretans had a reputation of being liars, gluttons, and lazy, um, and the problem was most of them fit into the mold of the world. And what's the world trying to get us to do today? You got to fit in. To fit in. Now, folks, listen. God has told us to come out from among them. We are to be different. Now, that doesn't mean we're to be arrogant. doesn't mean we're to act like we're holier than they are. Because the fact of the matter, we're just sinners saved by grace. But our lives need to show something different. Needs to show that God has truly made a difference in our lives. So Titus, Paul says, be a model for these Cretan believers. How they're to take, uh, move, remove anything that hinders the gospel. And make sure they live a life that honors the word of God. But it's interesting, he moves on to slaves as well. And again, speaking about Christian slaves, those who have been born again. And he reminds them, doesn't matter where you are on the social ladder. Everyone is to have that kind of attitude. Uh, slaves, you're to have a humble attitude. Uh, you have, you have a good worth work ethic, and I think you're not to talk back to your master. You're not to rebel, if you will. You should be honest. Don't pilfer. Don't steal. Uh, In fact, be an example for all other bond servants 
on how they need to live for Christ, how Jesus made a difference in your life. Now, let's make sure we understand something. If you are a child of God, no matter who we are, we have been called to be sacrificial servants of Christ. We are his bond servant. And so Paul doesn't leave anyone out. Now, again, he's talking about literal, sla- literal slaves here there to, ex- to exemplify biblical Christianity, what it looked like to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's what's interesting. Paul opened here in chapter 2 talking about sound doctrine. And yes, doctrine is teaching. But also understand, sound doctrine is more than sound belief. Sound doctrine is about life. It's about a life that's consistent with the Word of God. A life that's been changed through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And listen very carefully. If all we ever do is teach people facts about doctrine, teach them facts about theology, if we don't demonstrate those things and how we live, if we don't demonstrate how those things affect the way we think, if we don't demonstrate how those things think affect the way we talk and live, we have failed to pass on our faith. Yes, facts are important, but it doesn't end there. Have we allowed the truth of the gospel, according to the gospel, to affect and change our lives? So Paul says, Titus, teach those believers there to live a life that models consistency between what you've been taught and your daily life. Does how you live match what you teach? And Cheryl, I think what you said applies here. That also applies today. Do they line up together? Remember, remember, knowledge of the truth leads to godliness. And I want you to know, folks, When we live consistent lives before a lost world, it will make a difference. It will make a difference. I I know I've shared this story before. I've been here too long not to share more than once. I remember a time when I worked at General Motors and I knew a handful of Christians there that weren't consistent, that in my area, the big plant, I went everywhere. And I tried to be. And I wasn't perfect, I know that, but I tried my best. And uh, one day, uh, there was a fellow who worked in, in the paint department with me. And uh, I was telling Marvin the story this past week, and if you ever worked on the assembly line, Mike, I think you worked there for a while, about two days, didn't you? 
and walked out. <laughs> Mike said, not for him, okay? But, you know, there's usually, a, you got a car going down the line and a guy on each side. And what one guy does on one side, you know, you do on the other side. And it's just kind of, and where I was at, you couldn't cross over there. It was about this high off the ground, you just couldn't cross it. And uh, my job was to give people a break. Every, every 20 minutes, I went to another person. And I gave them their 23-minute break, actually. And uh, this guy's name was Dallas, and he was a big man. He was rude, crude, gross, obnoxious, and that was his good side. And we were on day shift at that time, or I was, and uh, we started about 6 o'clock in the morning. By 10, he was usually drunk. And i never forget one day when I went over to give the guy across him a break, he called, it, he called me by my last name. He said, Luthie, he said, you probably think I'm a pretty bad fellow, don't you? And you know, he was right. But God spoke to my heart that day for whatever reason. And I said to him, I said, Dallas, it doesn't matter what I think. I said, Jesus loves you. And this was a pretty good sight. God, tears started flowing down his cheeks out of his eyes. And he didn't get saved that day. But a few months later, I... I'd changed shifts. I was in supervision at that time. And I heard Dallas had had a heart attack. And I knew, it did, I knew it didn't kill him. But I knew he was out on sick leave and been out for several weeks recuperating. And he came in to the plant on his own time while he was on sick leave to see me. And he wanted to tell me that he'd gotten saved. Now, I'm not bragging about myself. That was God doing that. I know that. But I look back on that and I realize if I hadn't lived a consistent life, it wouldn't have mattered to him to come and tell me. And there's other examples I could share when I was there. But the bottom line is we have to live a consistent life. And that's what Paul told Titus. But what was true then is true now. Simply be consistent in your life. Any comment about that? Any question? Any comment? Well, let's apply it. And again, that's provocation. Ensure that our conduct reinforces our words as we try to pass on our faith. Well, let me ask a question, okay? We've got a little bit of time, I think. What happens when believers fail to live out what we say and believe? What happens? Yeah, why? Yeah. Absolutely. And you know what they say? A lot of times they think, well, his life is no different than me. I'm a hypocrite. He's a hypocrite. She's a hypocrite. But what does God think about that whenever we don't live right? Oh, he's not happy. That would be simple. That would be simple. How, here's a good question, I think a, a good probing question. How can we acknowledge our own struggles without resorting to do as I say, not as I do mentality when we're trying to pass on our faith? How do we acknowledge our struggles? First of all, are we perfect? No, we're human. Now, we don't want to make excuses, but I think we have to be humble. 
There has to be humility in our lives. And what I've learned through the years, when I fail, when I do wrong, and I know I need to confess it to Jesus, but I need to confess it to those I've done in front of too. Hey, I said something I shouldn't have said, and I'm sorry for that. I'm a child of God, and I know better. And I've already asked God to forgive me, and I'm asking you to forgive me as well. Another, I think another question, kind of a deep question this morning. What kind of conduct can open up opportunities for us to pass on our faith? What kind of what kind of lifestyle would open up opportunities for us to pass on our faith? How about being rude all the time? Would that work? I don't think so. I think the important thing is this. The world we live in needs to know we care. We genuinely care about their souls. We genuinely care where they will spend eternity. Does it mean we dis- we ought to be disrespectful to the lost? No. I'm always reminded of the time when Philip was preaching and God called him away and there was that Ethiopian eunuch and the eunuch reading from Isaiah and the eunuch asked, is this fellow writing about himself or someone else? Philip didn't say, oh, come on, you idiot. Everybody knows better than that. You think he'd have done good that day if he did that? No. He showed concern. And we need to show concern. And by the way, I know the unsaved uh, can be mean to us sometimes. But the truth of the matter is, I still think we need to treat them with respect and treat them the way that we like to be treated. And it'll help us have an opportunity to share our faith. And I've seen it happen so many times through the years. So number one, how we live should be consistent with what we believe. Number two, our efforts should be consistent with God's purpose for our lives. Titus chapter 2, let's read verses 11 through 15. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Alan, would you mind reading verse 11 again? I heard it the first time. So who's God's grace appeared to? All men. All men. And Paul has already addressed the older men and older women. He's addressed younger men and younger women. Masters and bondservants. 
And he really pulls no punches. He expects all of them to behave Christ-like in an ungodly world. Here's what's interesting. There were different social groups. I heard a preacher this past week give an example of, I don't know if it was archaeologists or whatever, they found some graves, you know, ancient graves of people, their bones. And again, he said, I looked over that and I was trying to determine who were the master and who were the slaves. Who were the rich and who were the poor? Guess what? Say it again. You couldn't tell. You know why? It didn't matter. And when God's grace came, Paul said it appeared to all men. It didn't matter whether you were free or bond. It doesn't matter. <laughs> the gospel was saying for all of them. And Paul said that great gospel... It ought to have an impact on how you live your life. It ought to change the way you live. Now remember, and Alan, thanks for reading the second time. Paul tells us in verse 11 that his salvation is only by the grace of God. What does that mean? Say it again. Nothing we can do. We didn't earn it. You know, there might have been some higher on the social ladder there. They might have thought, well, I'm good enough. Paul said, no. It doesn't matter where you are. It's all by the grace of God. So Paul says that message has been brought not only to you, Paul says, to them at Crete, but to all people. And the message is the same. But Paul reminds them that that gospel, it calls for a transformation in your life. Now remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? It is the power of God under salvation. Paul knew the difference the gospel would make. And it reminds them, this gospel ought to transform your priorities. And so he says in verse 12, this gospel teaches us that we have got to turn away from worldly passions. We need to turn away from those ungodly pursuits. And we need to pursue godly priorities in our life. That's what the gospel teaches us. So Paul says, I want you to take these truths and I want them to be presented to every believer in Crete. I don't care how old they are. I don't care what their gender is. I don't care what their social status might be. I don't care what their sphere of influence is. I don't care what they did for a living. I want them to live in such a way that others around them see how they live and it would be an influence on them coming to Jesus Christ as their Savior. 
Now, by the way, that didn't, didn't just apply to them. It applies to us. Because once we've been transformed, our purpose in life is to share the good news, to pass along our faith to anyone we can every day of our lives. But then Paul gives us, wow, an incentive in verse 13. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. What does that do for us? What should that do for us? Amen. I don't remember which preacher it was. I listened to a clip this week. And he was talking about the world we live in. Talking about Satan. He said often we catch ourselves saying, well, Satan is against me. Guess what he's supposed to do? To be against us. The world doesn't like me. Guess what it's supposed to do? Not like us. He made this statement. He said, if we can just pull back that curtain and get one glimpse of glory that's waiting, it would fracture our minds. And this preacher went on to say, he said, I don't know about you, but I think I'll hold on. I think I'll endure it. And Paul said, looking, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior. And we're to do it eagerly. We're waiting for that great hope. The second coming. And Paul said, that thought alone ought to encourage you to live holy for God, to live righteous life. By the way, John echoed the same thought in his letter uh, when we said, when he said, those who have that hope in them purify themselves even as he, Christ, is pure. It ought to spur us on to sharing our gospel, to sharing that gospel, to live in this righteous, in this wicked world, a righteous life. It's interesting. Paul was saying this. What we do in this world needs to be done keeping the world to come in mind. We have got a better world. Paul said that there's a twofold purpose here. First of all, God wants to purify himself of people for his own possession. And second of all, God wants a people who are zealous of good works. Now, are we saved by works? No. But we are saved unto good works. So not only do we need a consistency between what we teach and how we live, Paul says we have to have a consistency between God's purpose for our life in this world and our efforts as we live in this world. Folks, Christ is coming again. And we need to be examples in this world. We need to live what we teach and we need to live in consistency with God's purpose. He wants to purify himself of people for his own, and he wants to purify of people who are zealous for good works. Let's stand together.
Next week, 1 John will be in chapter 1 and a few verses of chapter 2. Father, thank you for your precious word. And God, help us to live lives that will honor you and be consistent with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for saving us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless each one of you. Thank you for coming.